Let's turn this morning to the book of James, chapter 2. And let me read from verse 14 down through verse 26. We've expounded up to this point. And uh, you cannot forget what's been said already, at least in a general form, because it does work into what is going to be remaining in this chapter. So if you draw a blank after this, then uh, we're not going to get very far as trying to determine what James is really saying here. So let's begin, though, first reading this whole section. So we will not take it out of its context. And uh, you'll see that I am trying to deal, uh, to deal honestly with this text of Scripture. For what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? I'm in verse 14. Can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food? And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What I would like to do and try to handle this this morning is to give kind of a lengthy introduction here. And then I will give uh, basically some heads after that as we look to this text. I'm going to stick pretty closely to my text or my notes. So if I don't look up and try to look you into the eye, that's not because I fear you, but I fear making a blunder with my own tongue. And so I want to try to say it as I have it written here, uh, which may not even be the best itself. But I do want to be able to say it. So if you come back and say, well, this, this, and this, I can at least turn back to my notes and say, no, actually, I said this, this, and this. Or you may, uh, we may be in agreement and may not understand what I'm saying. Or I may not have understood what I've said, but at least we'll have somewhere to go for. So look at it in that light. So please don't think I'm trying to ignore you. You know that's not my normal. Uh, in fact, what we teach in our class for the young men is that they will look you in the eye. They do want to look at you, see your faces. That's part of preaching. And so I'm not trying to be a bad example here today in that. I'm actually just trying to be very, uh, one, articulate with the text and also very careful. So please bear with me on that because I do want us to understand this properly uh, as I do believe we'll be looking at it here. Well, as we do come to this section of our epistle, we cannot miss the fact that James has been stressing the reality of pure Christianity or pure religion. You remember back in chapter 1 and verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and brideth not his tongue, 
but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And he gives us two examples of that very thing. So what James has been dealing with here, actually throughout this epistle, has been the idea of pure religion, or to say it in such a way that would probably be more uh, palatable to us. He's trying to show us something of true Christianity. And he's not stated it in this fashion, uh, that is, these realities of the Christian life and the daily affairs of life, in order to save them, to redeem them, or to convert them, or to cause them to be born again. We have not read one verse that would hint to that, have we? Up to this point, to chapter 2 and verse 13 or 14, we have not seen James say, Now look, I'm telling you how to work your way to heaven. Has he been saying that? Well, absolutely not. He has in no wise told us that works somehow save us. Or they somehow merit salvation and cause God's grace to be turned towards us when He sees enough works in our lives that He will then be merciful to us. He hasn't even hinted at that at all. What He has stated and implied without any uh, fear of contradiction, I believe this, is that these things in our lives, if they're not there, excuse me, let me put it that way, if these things are not in our lives, that is, these realities of the Christian life, then we are deceived in thinking that we have pure religion. Let me say that again, because I know I'm up to it. Was he has stated and implied that without these things, that is, the realities of the Christian walk, if they are not there, then we are deceived into thinking that we have true and pure religion. So when we come to this passage of Scripture, verses 14 down through verse 26, it's still the same message. He's not changing the central theme of his epistle which is to show us that true religion does have certain earmarks about it. And if those earmarks are not in the Christian life, then that person who claims or professes more so, then it is, that person is deceived. Now, some have come to this passage, verses 14 down through verse 26, and they have seen at least in their thinking, a contradiction then between James and Paul. James, they say, is teaching works, and that works here are the grounds of justification. And then thus they say, Paul says, on the other hand, it is grace received by faith alone. And so they see in their mind then this disparity between James and John, or excuse me, James and Paul. They see a disparity between James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 and Romans chapter 3, chapter 4, and Galatians chapter 2 and chapter 3. I'm here to tell you and say very, very plainly, this is not the case. This is not a contradiction. Now, let me give you some example here so that you'll know what I'm talking about. Look in verse 21, beginning in verse 20. We're going to read this again. And then we're going to turn over and we're going to read some passages from Paul. Verse 21 of James 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? 
Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which was said, or saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now mark that in your Bible or in your head, that passage of scripture. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now again, at first glance, that sounds like he's teaching faith plus works justifies. Because now, we'll show you why some would say, oh, there's a disparity here, there's a difference here. James is doing this, and Paul is doing something else. Let's go to Romans 3 now. Romans 3. Now, this seems to be what I just read in James. Seems to be, they say, a contradiction of what we find, for instance, here in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is, no, is the knowledge of sin. That sounds different than what Paul or James says, doesn't it? James is implying you can be saved by works, as they say. Paul says, nope, it's evident for that matter that we're not. Also look at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. James doesn't even mention redemption through Christ Jesus. But Paul does. Look at verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That is, faith alone. Faith only. Not the works of the law being brought in. Not keeping the moral commandment, which James says is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summation of the law, isn't it? Paul says here, no. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without that. Look in Romans 4. And especially this chapter here. Listen carefully. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath wherefore to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Uh Uh-oh, this sounds familiar. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That sounds a whole lot like James chapter 2 and verse 23. You know why it sounds that way? Because that's exactly what James says. James uses the same passage to teach whatever he's teaching that the Apostle Paul is teaching here in Romans chapter 4. And we know, without a doubt, in Romans 4, Paul is very plainly telling us here that Abraham was imputed with righteousness by faith. And that alone. Circumcision didn't do it. The good works of the law couldn't have done it because the moral law ended up as as a written form wasn't given yet. But that's okay. David also, who is under the law in that sense, had the Ten Commandments in a written form. And he says as well in this chapter that David was not justified by those works. Reading on. Now to him that worketh is the reward not working of grace, but of debt. 
But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, Blessed are those they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Look in verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which also, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. They say, see, James and Paul are not on the same wavelength here. James says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. See then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only? Galatians chapter 2. Again, keeping in mind what James has said. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Verse uh, 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. James doesn't even get close to saying things like that, does he? And then look in Galatians 3, verse 11. But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. And by that he means it's so plainly set forth. For, and this is the passage our brother preached on, the just shall live by faith. Wow. If we didn't believe in inspiration, we would almost say there is a contradiction here. Wouldn't we? Now, at first glance, James may be contradicting Paul, or as some have wickedly put it, James is correcting Paul. But even those who admit that also admit that James wrote before Paul. So, how could that have happened? I don't know. Or... They say really that James is just putting the icing on the cake and it's really teaching faith plus works and that's, which, that's how we stand justified before God. So there you have it. Now, we don't believe that to be true. At least I hope this morning thus far by me reading this and pointing things out to you that I have not won you over to the other side but that at least for this point you're still with me on this. That we are justified in the sight of God, not by the works of the law, but by grace received by faith alone in Christ Jesus. It's His righteousness that is imputed to us, not our own righteousness that stands before God in order to be justified. But, though, how do we answer this? How do we answer this seemingly or real contradiction in some people's minds to this very thing? Well, let me answer this by four things this morning. How do we answer this? First of all, let's look at it in this light. 
James and Paul thus far have agreed when we come to the book of James. So far, up to chapter 2 and verse 14, James has not contradicted Paul, nor could we say in any of the writings of the Apostle Paul has he contradicted James up to this point. In other words, as we view these things, Paul and James are up to this point in 100% agreement. For instance, in verses 2 through 5, here dealing with tribulation, the Apostle Paul is at one with James on this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you like wisdom and so forth, let him ask of God. If you turn over, keep your finger there, to Romans chapter 5, where Paul introduces, again, the doctrine of justification by faith. He goes on and says in verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. It would appear here that James and John are in agreement. Tribulations create things and situations in our lives that cause us to grow. James and Paul agree on that, don't they? Secondly, in verse 18, uh, James speaks... I'm just using these. There's plenty of here, but I just pulled these out here. James speaks of the sovereign will and being causing us to be born again. That is, the very initial act in our salvation is a work of God. Verse 18, "...of His own will begot He us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures." Did Paul preach on the sovereign will of God? Oh boy, did he. Look in Romans 9. It can't get any plainer than this aspect of the will of God being demonstrated in the lives of men. His creatures. That God disposes of His creatures as it pleases Him. He begins in verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? No, God forbid, he says. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And he gives the example of raising up Pharaoh in verse 17, verse 18. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Like that's going to cause the man to say in the next verse, well, if all that's true, how could God find fault with us? If everyone deals, does the will of God in this sense, then how can God ever find fault? That's how strong Paul puts this argument of the sovereign will of God. He's not in any agreement, disagreement with James, is he? So again, two points already up to this point, they are in agreement. The salvation of sinners is by the will of God. That's what James says. We also notice in chapter 1 and verse 27, or 26 and 27 in particular, verse 27, he deals with here of taking care of widows. He says that true religion is this, that you visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. How does Paul and James line up on that situation? He lines up so well with James, though, that in 1 Timothy 5... 
Paul speaks of that the widows, who are widows truly indeed, who have these characteristics about them, are to be taken on in support. They are to be taken care of. They are to be nurtured by the people of God. That's how him and James agree so much on this passage. So there's no disagreement here, is there? Uh, James speaks about the tongue. Here in verse 26, he's going to do it again in chapter 3. He's doing it all through these two chapters thus far, sprinkled out. How does Paul think about that? Well, if you won't take the time this morning, but you go to the book of Ephesians and you go to the book of Colossians, he tells us to regulate our tongues. He warns us against lying. He talks about having speech that is seasoned with grace. So once again, in this fourth instance, Paul and James are at one one with another, aren't they? How about verse 26 where he speaks about personal holiness? Is not Paul concerned and warns those of Ephesus regarding personal holiness, especially in the negative form? Don't be caught doing these things. He tells us in chapter 5 and verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For you know this, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you. That's kind of what Paul James says. You're deceived if you think you can go to heaven living like the world and the devil, living in these sins. Well, let me ask you, was uh, was Paul teaching salvation by works in Ephesians 5? Of course not, you'd say. But when we turn to James, we are tempted to think that. That James is teaching works. He's just saying the very same thing that Paul is here. So again, in the fifth instance... We see here that James and Paul are in agreement. Number six. I'll give you one more and I'll stop on this one. Because this is so blatant, I think, in this chapter. Uh, James speak about, speaks about law and love, doesn't he? James doesn't believe the Ten Commandments are done away with today. James thinks there's a standard of what love is. And so does Paul, does he not? We quoted you last week from Romans chapter 13 where Paul says, Do not commit adultery, do not kill. And if there be any other commandment, it's contained in this, he says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what James says is the royal law. The law of liberty. So again, they're not disagreeing, are they? So when we come to chapter 2 and begin in verse 14, If they have been in such agreement up to this point, why would we think now they're parting company? It's just unreasonable, isn't it? Secondly, Paul himself plainly says in this matter of justification that him and James are in agreement. Look back in Galatians 2. Remember the problems going on there in this, the churches of Galatia, that province there? 
how that Paul is so concerned that they have turned from another gospel or turned to another gospel. And so Paul writes them and he's concerned for them and he gives them something of his testimony, his life history up to this point, and even how one time he met James. Look in chapter 2, verse 4 of the book of Galatians. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's persons, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Who do you think he's talking about there? Who did Paul have conference with? He says, it didn't really matter who they were. I didn't respect their persons just like God did. Who do you think it was? Well, let's go on. But contrary eyes, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was in, given unto me, they gave to me and Bartimaeus the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the heathen and they, and they unto the circumcision. It doesn't seem at this point in the book of Galatians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, and also verse 9, particularly, that James and John or Paul were at odds, does it? So once again, there's no contradiction here. No, there is no real contradiction, or even a seemingly one for that matter, as far as the reality of that's concerned. Nor, as some have wickedly put it, James is correcting Paul, or that James is just adding works, completing Paul's thought of faith, is he? Because they are in agreement one with another. And then thirdly, Paul actually says some very similar things as James does in regards to justification. James said, or Paul says some very similar things as James does in regards to justification. Go to Romans 2 and listen to this wording. Romans chapter 2. I have to begin verse 1 to pick up the full context of this. But we're going to read down through verse 13. Remember, James is saying, faith plus works justifies before God. Listen to Paul on this. Therefore, there are... Ex- Inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that 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 judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, 
who will render to every man according to his deeds. Sounds like James a little bit. To them who are by patient continuance and well-doing, seeking for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them which are contentious and who obey not the truth, or do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor and peace to everyone that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Verse 13, listen. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. That's kind of like the language of James, isn't it? And then fourthly, since Paul says that we are justified by grace, received by faith alone, apart from works, very plainly in other places, and James says we are justified by faith and works, these can only be apparent contradictions and not real. Titus chapter 3. See, some have used the argument, well, James, Paul is talking about Old Testament works and they don't justify. But when it comes to New Testament works, such as love, that does justify. That's what they teach. And we have that a lot today and even in so-called reform circles who are saying that. It's not Old Testament law that justifies, but it is New Testament law that justifies. Well, Paul renders that void when he says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Neither the works of the law are mentioned there, nor new covenant works are mentioned there. It's just works. It's works of any sorts. For by grace are you saved through faith in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It doesn't matter whether it's Old Testament works or New Testament works. Whether it's the work of love moved by faith or whatever. The case is, we're saved by grace so that we will not boast in heaven of our works. Because they do not save. So, the contradictions then are not real. And so, brethren, as we work through this then, let's be convinced on the supposition that both Paul and James are correct in the particular issues in which they are dealing with. James is not wrong when he talks what he says in verses 14 down through verse 26. And Paul is not wrong when he is quoting here from Romans chapter 3 and, and 4 and also in Galatians 2 and Galatians 3. Paul is not wrong there either. And neither is James. So let's get to our text. Oh, we don't have much time here, but let's very quickly go through a couple of verses. First of all, look in verse 14. 
or before we look to verse 14, let's ask the question, is James from the setting forth here that salvation is merited by works? Is that what he's really teaching? Well, of course, the answer is what? No. If that be the case, woe be any of us, right? Which that could be the case, but if that's true, woe any of us. As he's already pointed out from the beginning of here of chapter 2, towards the end of uh, our section we looked at last time, that whoso keepeth the whole line yet is guilty of one point, he's guilty of all. That condemns all of us, doesn't it? So the answer to the question, is James setting forth here that works merit salvation or justification before God? And the answer is no. He is not teaching that. Well, thirdly then, what then is his aim here? If he's not contradicting Paul, and he's not teaching salvation by works here, or justification by works, what is he showing here in this chapter? What is James trying to get across to his readers here in this chapter? Well, it is this, to show us that a faith which is destitute of good works is not a faith that justifies. That's what he's showing us here. A faith which is destitute of good works is not a faith that can justify. Saving faith, which alone is the instrument by which we stand justified before God, and not, with, and not by works, by the way, will be that which will bring forth good works to testify that our faith is real and that it is saving. In other words, a faith without works is not a saving faith. So faith will, be dem- will demonstrate or evidence or bear fruits if it is saving faith. That is the aim of the Apostle James. Or, yes, the Apostle James here. This is the aim that James is putting out. Just as he has said from the be- all the way back from actually verse 26 of chapter 1. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridle not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and unbefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted in the world. Don't be respectful of persons because that's not what Christ is like. What is that but the evidences of saving faith? earmarks that we have the true faith of God. So this is what James is showing us. He hasn't left his theme at all here. If anything, he's just furthering and hammering this point on to us. Don't be deceived. If your faith is not bringing forth saving works, then don't believe that it's saving faith. Excuse me, not saving works. If it's not bringing forth works, then it's not saving faith. I said I was going to stick to my notes. Sorry. Now, let's go to verse 14. And I won't take much more time. We'll stop. But here it is. There's two questions in this verse. And this is how we start to see this. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? There's two questions. He begins this by asking the question, what profit 
or what good is... Now, notice, it's a professed faith here. Is it not? Because it says what? What did the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith? Underline that. This is talking about a profession. It's talking about the kind of fellow who seems to be religious. If you have faith, if you, excuse me, if you say you have faith and you don't have works, can that save you? The second question is, can faith save him? Well, other scriptures say yes. In fact, Jesus himself says, Thy faith has saved thee. Paul teaches that salvation is by faith. Now, is Jesus and Paul contradicted by James here? No. So, what does he mean when he says here then, which in other scriptures would say a yes, but here it's definitely a no. Can faith save him? The answer is no to this answer question. No, it cannot. In the sense and in the meaning which James is speaking of here, no, it cannot. Now, when James, or when Paul and Jesus say it, they mean yes. Well, where does James differ here? Remember, it's the sense that's different. Well, what faith is he talking about? Go back to verse 14 again, the first part. It's a faith that a man says he has, but there's no works. Can that faith, or can faith save? The answer is no. It's a vain religion. That man's deceived. He can say it till he's blue in the face, till the cows come home. The pigs fly, as they say today. It's not going to happen. That faith, without works, does not save. It was never meant to be. So, so say, James here is not contradicting others in this passage. Can faith save? He means a faith that does not bring forth works. And no it cannot save. And then he illustrates the point in verses 15 and 16. What he's doing in verse 15 and 16 is illustrating what he just got through saying in verse 14. And one of you... if a, Excuse me, verse 15. Verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? This is not a verse to teach us that when brethren came, come to us, we should feed them and take care of them if they are in need. That's a truism. That's taught in somewhere else. That's taught in First John, for instance. And Paul teaches it too. James is not teaching that here. He's just simply using this as an illustration to show you what empty faith's like. That's all he's doing here. He's not giving you an exhortation to take care of your sisters and your brothers who are naked. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is illustrating from this principle the fact that faith without works is dead. It cannot profit. Remember back up in verse 13? What doth it profit? Last part of verse 16. What doth it profit? So notice the illustration. If there is someone who is a brother or a sister, they have no clothes, they have no food, and they come to us and all we say is, well, depart in peace. We, you know, God bless you. I hope you'll stay warm. 
but I don't give you those things that you really need, will that brother go away with any help? The answer is no. What will it profit him if I bestow all sorts of pronouncements upon him? Look, brother, go get warm. Be warmed. And by the way, God bless you. Is that gonna is that gonna stop that? Is that gonna put clothes on that man's back? No. Will it fill his tummy? No. So what will it do him? What good will it do? Nothing. That's James's point. He's not teaching us to do those things. He's illustrating what he said back in verse fourteen. Can faith save that does not produce works? The answer is no. So verse 16 puts forth a question. Makes us look back to verse 14 about the profiting. And then notice verse 17 is James' conclusion based on that illustration. Even so, in the same manner that if someone comes to you naked and hungry and you don't feed them and all you say is with your mouth, depart in peace and be warmed, the same way, he says, faith without anything behind it is dead being alone. So that's his conclusion. And that's where we'll stop. Let me get some quick illustration or applications from this and then I'll let you go. First of all, there is absolutely no contradiction not only here, but in any of God's Word. Let me assure you this morning, not from my testimony. I believe, oh, I believe that with all my heart. But that doesn't mean it convinces anybody. A man may say he has faith. That doesn't mean anything, does it? But the reason why God, there, is no contradic- there are no contradictions in God's Word is, one, because God is a God of truth. He cannot lie. And His Word is His Word. And His Word has said that it is truth. And it cannot lie. And so they cannot, in real truth, in a real true sense, say two opposite things, or they could not be true. So that's why there are no contradictions. You say, that's circular reason. I'll take it. It's what the Bible gives me. And that's what I'm shut up to. In fact, this is one of the first suppositions in revealed Scripture is that it is true. It doesn't set out to prove it. It just states it. So Christian, if you're wondering and, and doubting all this stuff, you can, you can go to all these apologetic books, which means the defense of the faith, and read all that stuff all you like. But when it comes down to the end of the day, it is this. Did God say it? And do you believe it? It's the truth. And that's where we have to move on from. Secondly, notice in James dealing with this, he does use several, not just one, but several illustrations. We only got to one this morning. What does that tell us here? That James here is not just satisfied in just bearing some objective doctrine out there. 
But he wants to make this very livable to them. Very applicable to them. Say, okay. What does that got to do with it? Well, brethren, have you ever tried to explain James 2 to anyone? I'm certain you have. Well, let me help you. In order for them to see some truth in this, and I realize under God's blessing this has to be so, but notice what James does. He illustrates this. So if you want to make this kind of plain to others, let me encourage you to explain with illustrations. This is the things we're teaching in our class. You know, you knock some lights into the building and or holes in the building to let the light in. That's what we have to do in sermonizing or when you're talking to brethren and, and preaching to others. Yes, you, preaching to others. You have to kind of knock some holes into the building so that the light will shine through. That's what illustrations are like. And James doesn't say, look, you just need to get it. Without faith, or faith without works is dead. Now, let's move on. He doesn't do that. He, he particularly goes through here and gives us illustration after illustration to make us see very pointed and very plainly, without faith, work, uh, without faith without works is dead. So, brethren, when you are explaining this to merit mongers, those who do believe that their works save them, give them lots of illustrations showing the why of all of this and the why for. Thirdly, we might as well face it. Many are going to represent us in this truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone. Now, it's true, James here is not misrepresenting us. But he is showing us here the fallacy of saying that we have faith if there are no works to evidence our faith. You see, the only real way that you can show that you have faith is by your works. Who's going to get into that? Faith is something that's invisible. You can't see it. Can you see my faith? I have it dwelling in my bosom. Can you see it? No, you can't. Can I see yours? No. Then how will I know if you have it? By what that faith produces in your life. By your walk. By the working out of it. And that's all James is really saying here. Faith cannot be seen except in the fruit it produces. So for the real question this morning, does your faith have works? You see, there are many who understand this passage as I do. That is, like I see it. They believe justification is received by the imputed righteousness of Christ. They say they believe that. You won't know it, but by their works. Our works will testify of it. And so, rather than making this some academic lecture here this morning, let's turn it to our hearts and let's examine ourselves. Is my faith being worked out in my life? Am I obedient to the law of God? Do I have concern for the brethren? Do I love them? Would I give someone who comes to me 
who is naked and destitute of daily food, who is a brother or a sister. And would I just say, ah, God bless you, be warmed. Or would I try to help? Do people come through the door who don't dress like me? Do I treat them differently? Do I have a respecter of persons? Is my religion that which causes me to try to be unspotted from this world? Do I govern my tongue? Am I fulfilling my duties, my offices, and whatever aspects of Christian that I am? Of course, we're going to go away sometimes with a very sad picture, thinking the worst of ourselves. Other days, we may think very well that by the grace of God, we do see these things in us. That's why it's not just one snapshot of the life that is to be seen. Some people struggle hard and long because they'll take one aspect of their life, a snapshot of it, and they freeze it right there, and they forget everything else that's gone before and everything that's happening right then, everything that's happened that's going to happen afterwards. And they judge their state of grace on that one instance of that frame. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's a life of it that's being examined. With the goods and the bads mixed in it. We are not in any way given any excuse for anyone to have a sloppy Christianity here this morning. God forbid that. Don't be deceived. If you're guilty of these sins, Paul says, you'll perish. So will us. So will we. And our only hope then is Christ. Our only hope in the Christian walk is Christ. And this doesn't mean Christ in some... New Covenant, I only preach Christ since. But Christ lived in us by His power, working out those things. He commands us, looking to Him as the author and the finisher of our faith. When we get faint, we view Him who is much greater persecuted than I'll ever be. That's what we mean. And are we doing it? Let's trust so.